we're going to be in Luke 23. Um, and I actually don't, I don't have anything, um, real fancy or, or, um, anything, um, particularly special planned this morning. Um, when it comes to the message, it was something just very simple. Um, it's a passage that I, I personally love to read and it's, it's an encouragement. Um, sometimes we read through these passages and, and take these things at face value and, um, we, uh, we end up um, missing a lot of the the um, uh, nuggets of truth and wisdom and all that kind of stuff um, if we we don't actually take the time to read what's being said um, and really gleaning on it. Um, but we're going to be in Luke twenty three verses thirty two to forty three is what we're going to read. Luke twenty three, starting in verse thirty two. And it says, And there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots, and the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them uh, derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, and chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And this uh, uh, superscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews." And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. For the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost, thou, uh, dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art the, in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me, when thou comest into the, thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be in me in paradise. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, I just thank you for how you have provided. Lord, how you have worked in all of our lives individually and as a whole. Lord, I thank you for the fact that as we look at this passage, Lord, there's there's much that can be discussed. There's much that can be talked about. And, and Lord, these, these two men were given an opportunity to accept your son as his savior. And, and while they themselves were, were facing punishment, capital punishment, they were able and had the opportunity to, to receive Christ, to find salvation. Lord, I pray that we, as we look through this passage, Lord, that we, we glean from it, that we grow and, and have a better understanding of who you are and Lord, how, um, how salvation works and, and Lord, how simple it is. Lord, you didn't make this a, a complicated subject. And Lord, oftentimes we as, as just human beings can oftentimes um, muddy the water and, and make some of the simplest things in life complicated. And I pray that we, we keep it simple this morning. Lord, again, I just thank you for all that you've done. 
In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. This passage here is, is, is a great passage. It's a, a passage that I, I, I love because when I, I, I've read it many a times. And then there, there was at one point in time that I read it and I just kind of realized what was taking place. I mean, really understood what was, was happening. And one of the amazing things about this passage is you actually get a very um, simple and raw view of salvation and oftentimes we as as christians we oftentimes muddy like i was saying muddy the water and and we sometimes overcomplicate some of the simplest things about our walk with god and salvation is not a complicated subject it's actually very simple and the nice thing is, is this passage here is it's really, it is about salvation and it's, it really gives us the opportunity to pull back all of the, the extra things that we like to add on to salvation and, and really just pull back and, and take a look at what salvation is. Um, and it's the, like I said, this, this passage is a great passage recording someone's salvation in the Bible. Um, we don't get to see many opportunities where we see a one-on-one um, uh, conversation going on to where you actually see someone saved. I mean, I'm talking about you've got, um, I, you've got multiple passages in the Bible um, to where you actually get to see a one-on-one dialogue of someone coming to the, the, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And there are some great truths for us to learn about salvation in these verses. Truth, uh, truths about the soul, acceptance, rejection, and, and redemption. But what is it that the Bible says about the soul to begin with? Matthew sixteen twenty six says, For what is it a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? This verse tells us two different things about our souls. The first thing that it tells us is the value of our soul itself. For what is it a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? This is great because it, obviously he's trying to tell us how valuable the soul is itself. Imagine all the money with all, I take a bank account with as many zeros you can imagine behind, I mean, just, uh, just digit after digit after digit, an unfathomable amount of money. Imagine literal tons upon tons of gold and silver and other precious stones. They believe today that there is 244 thousand metric tons on earth that's 244,000 metric tons of gold on the earth both what has been recovered and turned into jewelry and, and materials and also counting what is believed to still be unmined and in the ground to give you a little perspective of how much gold that is take the statue of liberty and multiply that by 1,560. We're talking about more than 1,500 statues of liberty made of gold. That's how much gold is on the earth. And the funny thing is, 
That's only one, one piece of the puzzle. He says all the riches in the world. Imagine the earth itself literally owned by you personally, the king of the world. But your soul is of greater value than all of that. Of much greater value. But that's not all that's not all when it comes to this verse. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? How can you obtain a soul? What it's telling us is not just the value of a soul, but the fact that the soul is an unobtainable part of our life. We cannot make, build, trade, sell, buy, divide, destroy, or anything else the soul that exists in your body. I remember reading many, many times where even doctors themselves and scientists would actually have a scale of, uh, of a man on his deathbed and they actually say, what is the weight of a soul? There's so much conversation of what a soul is itself. And they actually have a theory that there's, and this is just some, some odd scientists out there have actually had a scale. A man was dying and when he finally died, they actually were able to measure a certain difference between him being alive and him being dead. The soul is something that exists. And it is of greater value than anything we could ever dream or hope for. And how sad. And that's, that's something else about that, that verse. How sad is it to have something of it, unmeasurable amount of value and it to be wasted? I mean, good night. I mean, how sad would it be for you to have uh, a, a one ton of gold and just let it go to waste and rot? Someone sit on great treasure, but we have a soul that Christ himself paid to redeem. But God is a one that controls, not manipulates, but he is the only um, creator and protector of a soul itself. And we can do nothing and have nothing to obtain our souls. But once the soul accepts Christ, what happens? In fact, in Luke 15, verse 10, it says, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. I don't know if you've ever come across that passage right there, but it's, it's amazing to think that even just one kid out of a bus ministry from a broken home that no one knows about or cares about but when that little kid accepts Christ, all of heaven rejoices. Amen. All of heaven celebrates. And all of heaven celebrates even when a, 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 a person of, of great status or, or riches or wealth accepts Christ. Amen. Because the soul, uh, again, the soul is, in, is invaluable. And even heaven itself celebrates when a soul finds God, something great happens. Not just the change uh, in the soul and person, but all of heaven gets excited. 
Actually, all of heaven rejoices over a conversion. It happened when you accepted Christ, and if you haven't, all of heaven will rejoice when you accept Christ as your Savior also. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, after ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. We are sealed. When we accept Christ, we are sealed. It's not talking about a Ziploc bag. My, my wife laughs at me because I go through Ziploc bags like you wouldn't believe. I just, I go through tons of Ziploc bags, but it's not talking about uh, a zip, a freezer, a freezer bag that we put whatever food and put it in the freezer. But it's a reference to the seal of a ring of a king. And that seal announces to all that see that seal that they have to deal with that king. And you think of the, the seal, like uh, uh, back in the day, um, you had the, the um, wax and a family crest. A king would oftentimes have a ring that resembled his authority. And the, that's the type of seal in which we, um, we have salvation. When we accept Christ as our Savior, God himself puts that seal on us saying if anyone messes with this soul he's got to go through me he's got to deal with me and that's the type of protection that god gives a soul when it accepts christ as a savior romans 10:11 says for the scripture saith whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed i there <laughs> It always makes me laugh whenever a new convert, someone that just accepted Christ, and they are going to tell every single person they meet about the Lord Jesus Christ. I've seen man, I've seen people get just get saved. They get pulled over by a cop, and they're witnessing to the cop while they're getting a ticket. They have such boldness. There's no shame when you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. God has every right to call us, in a sense, property to fulfill his every will and desire, but we are declared as children, as heir and joint heirs of the firstborn. The first to die and raise himself from the grave, giving us the power to uh, a victory over the grave. Amen. God calls a, a saved soul heirs, his own. Uh, I don't. I don't talk about it much. I was actually, um, I was actually adopted by my dad. And the funny thing is, is I, I never would have guessed that he raised me like I was his own. And it and it was funny because I was I can't remember how old I was, but they were talking about adoption and whatnot at school. I go home and I just simply asked my mom. She was not ready for it that day. My dad was uh, out to sea. He wasn't there for it. And I just straight out just asked my mom. I was playing some video games and she was doing laundry and I just stopped. I looked over to my mom. I said, am I adopted? Never thought to ask that as a kid. And I just, for whatever reason, because I was talking about it with my friends that day at school, 
I turned over and, and looked at my mom and I just said, am I adopted? Oh man, she, her face went white and her eyes got big. She just walked away, didn't even say anything. She came back a little later on. I was just playing video games again. I said, okay, whatever. She came back and she said, all right, just pause your game. We're, we're going to talk about this. I wanted to wait until dad came home anyways and talk, talk to you about it then. But that's when she had told me that I was actually um, not my, my dad's biological son. It didn't really bother me. And at that point as a kid, I, I was already saved and I understood the, the type of adoption that we receive from the father. And it just ended up just making me appreciate my father that much more. And made me appreciate my heavenly father that much more too. But let's get back to our original passage real quick. To better understand the depth of this passage, we need to understand some things. The first is the similarities that these men held. The first thing that we notice is who they were. So, in fact, when you look at this passage, it's amazing because you have these two what are they called? Male factors next to Jesus Christ. That's all that we know about them, right? And there, were, uh, and there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. A male factor is simply a sinner or a criminal. That's actually just, if you look at the definition of what a male factor is, it is someone known of, of criminal activity. But that's all that we know about these two men. And although we don't know their profession or family, we do know ultimately that they were criminals. These two men were both sentenced to death by crucifixion. And that picture that is being painted for us here is that they were mirror images of themselves. I don't know if you catch that, but after I kind of realized what was happening in this passage years ago, I kind of realized that God purposely made it to where they were mirror images of themselves. They were pretty much a picture of the, the, the same man. There was no difference between the two. The places that they were at, the, this, this place that both of these men were at, all men are the same. Luke 23 and verse 33, it says, And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And here the, the male factors are nailed near Jesus enough, they're close enough to hear him, to, to hear what he was, was saying. I, I bet they were close enough to even hear him if he had mumbled something. And they were close enough to speak with him. And notice how Jesus is being mocked in front of these two criminals. One of the other things that is similar between these two male factors is that they had heard the stories of Jesus. Do you, do you notice that both of them knew who Jesus was? They knew who was being crucified in between them. And both of them heard the name. 
They knew the stories of people being healed, come to life, doing amazing and miraculous things. And no doubt, maybe even these male factors were part of the group that followed Christ for a bit. But no doubt, they, they knew people that had been around Christ. They knew the stories of Christ. And even in man's mocking, even in man's mocking, God will receive glory. And this is where we see the only difference between these two men. The only difference takes place and starts in verse 39. And one of the male factors which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. And the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. One of the criminals is on the cross and mocking Jesus. How strange is that? You're a dying man. And the last words that you want to say as a dying man is to curse someone next to you, dying with you. How strange is that? It is safe to say that this criminal did not care about what Jesus did. He simply rejected Christ and all that he did. The man no doubt deserved some sort of punishment. The criminals most likely knew each other before they were even nailed next to our Savior. The funny thing is, is the one, the one male factor, the one criminal that was rebuking the other one, he knew he was guilty. And he recognized the fact that they both were receiving their due reward for their misdeeds. These criminals most likely knew each other. Who knows what crime they had committed. But that one criminal even says that we are receiving what we deserve. And you mock Christ? One of the criminals knew what the other man did, but does not share it with us. You could almost sense the attitude that the one criminal believed that he had done nothing wrong. It seemed that he was in denial of his deeds, but the other knew that they were both wrong. The only difference between the two was their interaction with Christ. Like I was saying, these men are mirror images of themselves. The only difference we find in them is their attitude towards Christ. Their decision in their relationship with Christ. While the one mocked and rebuked Christ, the other accepted and repented of his deeds. And what was the outcome of this? Luke 23, 43, it says, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. One would be with Christ in paradise. Which one do you think Christ was talking to? Do you think he was talking to the one that was rebuking him? (laughs) I highly doubt that. It was the one that knew he needed a savior and asked for his help. 
there is something you have to notice here. These men were on crosses themselves. The two male factors were on either side of Christ. But when Christ would talk to one, then he would have moved his head to talk to the other. To, to one, he would have to move his head and talk to him. There's a picture that is being painted for us here. If we accept Christ as our Savior, he accepts, uh, accepts us. But when we reject Christ, we are rejected ourselves. I couldn't help but uh, imagine what that looked like as Jesus Christ began to have a dialogue with the one criminal that was asking for forgiveness, asking for help. There was a picture where he has, just in, uh, naturally, God has to embrace one and the other chooses not to be embraced and is rejected. Romans 3.10, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone away, uh, gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And then verse 23 in chapter 3 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are the male factor. We are the criminal before God. Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15. And I'm, I'm going to read this passage in just a second. And just like the male factors in that time were, I, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it, it didn't matter what profession those ten, two men had. It doesn't matter what family those two men came from. It didn't matter what those two men did. The only thing that mattered at that point for those two male factors, those two criminals, were the fact that they were being crucified. That they were, were found guilty of their deeds, of their crimes. Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from the, uh, whose face the earth and the heaven fell, uh, fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. And just like those two criminals that were crucified next to Christ, every man is destined to stand before God. It doesn't matter what family you come from. It doesn't matter what profession you had. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished in the life that you were given on earth. You will stand before God, small or great, and you will answer for the deeds that you've done. In fact, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. You can't work your way into heaven. You can't work your way into the good graces with God. 
In fact, Romans 4, 4 says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. The funny thing is, is Romans 4, 4 tells us that if you try working good deeds in favor with God, it ends up only adding to the red that you owe him. You cannot, you cannot work your way into heaven. And I hear it time and time again. So many people, I'm a, I'm a nice guy. Come on, Sam. I'm a nice guy. It's not me that you're trying to convince. You're trying to convince a holy God. A God that sees every thought you think. Every, every deed you've ever done. But these two men were the same. And only the only difference that made salvation possible for one was the fact that he accepted Christ as his Savior. Did, the male, the, did Christ and the male factor get, done, uh, get down from their cross so the male factor could be baptized? Is that, was that part of the story? They were both dying. They were both dying. And that one criminal knew he didn't have a chance of finding a way in heaven. But he did know that the one chance he did have was Christ who was dying next to him. And even though Christ was dying, he knew that Christ had the power to save him. No, baptism was not required for salvation for that criminal, was it? I'm glad it wasn't required for me. Did they get down from their crosses to go to church and see the malefactor become a member of a church? No. No, church membership was not required for salvation. Did the malefactor give tithes and offerings to the church? No. Giving was not required for salvation either. That male factor, that criminal, that picture of us simply believed in Christ. And that's what made the difference. That's why that male factor is in paradise with Christ today. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That male factor wasn't able to do anything to earn that salvation. It was a gift that Christ gave him. No strings attached. Ephesians 2.9 even says, Not of works, lest any man should boast. The male factor called upon God to save him from his sins. The Bible's simple. It really is. And we don't need to overcomplicate this, this subject. Romans 10.13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we, are re- if we are to recognize our sinful condition and that Christ can save us and call upon him, there is nothing or no one that could separate us from the love of God and salvation. We too have a place in, sal- uh, in, in paradise if we trust Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed, and we're going we're gonna to wrap up the, the service in just a few minutes. I, I know that this was a, a pretty uh, simple passage.
I'm, I'm pretty sure that it, I, I know that this passage wasn't complicated. It wasn't anything special. It wasn't um, anything we haven't heard time and time again. The Lord laid it on my heart this morning to preach out of this passage. The Lord laid it upon my heart this morning to share this truth. I know most of us here have given a testimony and, and shared the fact that they have accepted Christ as their Savior. But I wonder if there's anyone here this morning that knows that they have not accepted Christ as their Savior. Each and every one of us are like those criminals. We've done things wrong. We've, we've made mistakes. Every single one of us. And all it takes is that one mistake for us to be unholy. And I wonder if there's anyone here this morning that maybe you, you know you need to accept Christ. Maybe you've spent most of your life mocking God like the one male factor, like the one criminal, but you realize this morning that you too need to accept Christ that you need to, to humble yourself like that one criminal did. He didn't try to, to convince anyone that he was innocent. He wasn't an, uh, wrongfully convicted of what he's done. He simply recognized the fact that he was a sinner before God. We're going to go uh, into a word of prayer in, in, in just, a, a more, uh, just a minute. But if there is anyone here that knows they need to accept Christ, just at some point in time after the service, or even as we, we begin to, to sing and, and um, uh, have uh, someone, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and have someone play a hymn of invitation. But if you know you need to accept Christ as your Savior and you want to take care of that and not let a, a moment go by without having it resolved, come forward. Let us know. We can easily get you to, to uh, with someone that can sit down and, and go over the Bible and, and let you know what it means to, to accept Christ as your Savior. I appreciate the fact that I was able to accept Christ as my Savior as a child that I didn't spend my life mocking God and, and making those, those decisions. I hope and pray that even though this is a, a simple truth that a lot of us understand already, I pray that we don't forget it or take it for granted. Kind of like how I hope we never take for granted what took place 21 years ago. I hope we never forget that we too were male factors before God that we accepted your son as our savior. And that was the, the deciding factor on whether or not we'd have a home in paradise, a home in heaven. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer as the piano plays.